Parshas Kiseisei, Perfection of Humility. In this week's Sedra, we read about the Dean of Malchus, a Jew sinned and was found guilty and based in, and now he's getting his punishment. And the judge should cast him down and strike him. Forty lashes, he should strike him. Kiseisei. For certain misdeeds, the Torah prescribes 39 lashes, and that's what this man is getting now. Now, there's an interesting subject that our sages discuss, and that is the thoughts that we expect of those participating in this story. At the time the Shliach Beisdin is delivering the blows on behalf of the Beisdin, what should he be thinking? And what should the recipient be thinking? Now, we know that nobody is happy about this. When it's necessary to hit a Jew, nobody is joyous. As the Shliach Beisdin raises his brawny hand with that strap, and he delivers a wealth on the body of a kosher ben Yisrael. He's a kosher Jew, only he transgressed one thing, so you could be certain that it hurts everyone's heart. The Beisdin, that found this man deserving of the Malchus, as well as the one carrying it out, commiserate with the one being hit. And he surely, as the blows are raining down on him, he's the last one to be happy. So it's a sad day. Nobody is happy in that courtroom. And yet, we're going to study now a Gemara in Masech and see that we are misunderstanding the episode entirely. The Gemara there is telling a story. A mushal, we're walking down the street, and we see a man coming our way who is all beaten up. We see his chest is open, and it's red or black and blue, and on his back also there are black and blue marks and open welts. So we ask him, What's the reason for these blows that you received between your arms? It means here, in the front of your chest, and on your back. So he says, these are the makas, the blows, that I was beaten in the house of my friends. My friends beat me up. Now, if he wasn't a firm Jew, we can understand that. He went to his best friend's wedding and he had to leave in an ambulance. Somebody today gave me a newspaper clipping about a Puerto Rican wedding that took place here in Brooklyn, in Bedford-Stuyvesant. So ambulances were racing back and forth, taking people to the hospitals from the wedding. What happened there? All the cousins were finally meeting each other again after so long, and they were drinking. And they all carry knives, of course. And so the old family feuds came to the surface, and there were a lot of stabbings. Now, at a Jewish wedding, maybe sometimes there's a question, a quarrel even, about who gets a bracha. But at a Gentile wedding, it happens sometimes that you need ambulances. It happens much more than you think. So if this fellow we met in the street was coming from that wedding, we'd understand when he tells us that it happened at the home of his friends. But here the Gemara is talking about the Frumju. He wasn't at that wedding. And still, when we ask him what happened, he says, I was in the house of my friends and they beat me up good. Who are these friends that the Gemara refers to? The friends are the Bastin that sentenced him to get Malchus. What happened? This man was caught shaving with a razor blade or doing something else that is Chayv Malkus. And so they gave him lashes and they beat him generously. The Shliach Beistin is Makeh Bechol Koichoy. He strikes with all of his power. And now the man came out beaten up. And as he's walking down the street and people say, What's this that you're all black and blue? And he says, It happened. Bet My good friends did this to me. And he's saying it earnestly. These blows were inflicted upon me in the house of those who love me. The shliach of the Beisdin. And the Beisdin who sentenced me, 
They're all my good friends. The witnesses who testified against me too. Base me'ahavai. A house of people who love me. Now, we have to study that. Because I imagine that it wouldn't be easy today to find a man who would be happy if Beisdin whips him. Even if he was a big tzaddik and had full confidence in the Beisdin, he'd say, I earned it. It's my fault. But to say that my good friends beat me up, that wouldn't be heard from anybody. But our sages are teaching us that they are his good friends. They did him a great favor. Of course, there's sadness all around. Regret that it came to such a thing that we had to do this. But there is happiness too, because a benefit is being bestowed on a fellow Jew. Kol darke Hashem chesed ve'emes. All the ways of Hashem are kindliness. Tzadik Hashem b'chol drochav v'chasid b'chol ma'asav. Hashem seeks to do kindliness in all of his deeds and even in the punishments which the Torah specifies for miscreants, for culprits, who transgress the rule, still holds good. It's an administration of a medicine that's going to be for his benefit. However, we won't be in a hurry to accept this. Let's understand it a little more carefully. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man, he made a hakdama, a preface that he didn't make when he created anything else. Nase Adam b'salmenu. It was an announcement. We're going to make man now. It means that now the most important act of creation is going to take place. Nothing else that Hashem created had such an introduction. Even Breishis bara elokim eta shamayim ve'eta aretz. That was a very big accomplishment. It was Briyas ha'olam yesh me'ayin. The first act of creation was the most stupendous and astonishing act. Something unequaled later in history. To create something out of nothing, it's the most surprising of all events in history. And yet... It was not introduced by any statement. And all the other creations that followed were not introduced either. The sun and the moon and the trillions of star worlds, all the planets and oceans and animals and fish and birds and trees, nothing, no announcement. And then suddenly, before HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Adam, he made a declaration. We are going to make man. Now how he made that declaration, I can't tell you. To whom he made it, I'm not going to be able to tell you either. But it's written in the Torah. We're going to make man. And that's because the introduction is made for the main event. For the star of the show. And that's man. One of the most important principles in the Torah is the vast and infinite greatness of mankind. But not only that man is the most important object in creation. That's understating it. Man is vastly greater. Not that any object in creation. He's vastly greater than the entire creation. One human being is more important than this whole earth, more than a million earths, more than a million huge stars. Not a million. There are trillions of stars, billions of star worlds, and still one person outweighs all of them. Let that sink in. Otherwise, you don't begin to understand the Torah. The truth is that this concept is a sin qua non, a condition without which it's impossible to appreciate Torah. I'll just give one little example to illustrate why. In the Torah, we are told of certain requirements that we are expected to fulfill. We're expected, for instance, to have a mezuzah on every door. Now, suppose someone wrote a mezuzah, a perfectly beautiful mezuzah, and every letter was inscribed correctly except one letter. He forgot to put the foot in the hay. It looked like a dalit. So what's so terrible? After all, most of the letters are there. 
All of them are there. And even this one is mostly there. Rubo Kekulo. It's such a minor thing. All right. It's not a perfect mezuzah. But still, it should be fine. But no, it's not a mezuzah at all. Such a minor imperfection can make it entirely puzzle. And it's considered like you have no mezuzah on the door. Why is it that the Torah insists on such things which seem like trivialities? If a man has chametz in his house on Pesach, he transgresses big avedas. But if he took the trouble before Pesach just to say, Kal chamira, I am mevatel, nullifying all the chametz, so he doesn't have any aveda doraisa anymore. Just by saying these words, he is saved from the aveda? Or another case, if a man tells a woman, and he gives her something. She's his wife. And if she consorts now with a stranger, they're both put to death. It's called adultery. Just because he said these words. He didn't even live with her yet. It's a matter of life and death. If he said the words, or didn't say those words. And so we see it again and again, all throughout the Torah, the principle that every little act is of the utmost significance. Every little act of a man is of supreme importance. As you read the Torah, you begin to see how vastly responsible a man is for the smallest misstep. There's a tremendous retribution for little details, little transgressions. And that's because there's nothing little about him. Like a king, a monarch of a huge empire. When he signs a document, a decree, it affects millions of his subjects. It affects their entire lives. So you might say, well, he only signed a paper. What's the big deal? No, it's the biggest deal. If you're a very big person, then even the smallest act is a matter either of life or death or some other great misfortune. And so this responsibility that the Torah gives us is in proportion to our greatness because every human being is of infinite greatness. Everything he does is also infinitely great. And that's why the Torah puts such stress on the smallest acts of man. We will never understand that unless we understand the greatness of man, the vastness of the personality of man. Now, this subject has to be spoken about at length, and we won't have time to deal with it properly now. But that's one of the fundamental foundations of Torah, Godless Ha'adam, the greatness of man. And it's not for nothing that man is declared so great. It's because he actually is great. He has endless greatness inside of him. His soul is endlessly great. His potentialities are endlessly great. He could make out of himself almost anything because he has the materials and it's been prepared by the creator inside of him. He towers above everything. Now, just because of that greatness, there comes another Torah corollary that is also of the greatest importance. And that is as follows. Because man is so tremendous, so full of potential to accomplish great things. Just because of that, Man is also the most arrogant of all creatures in the world. He's the biggest Baal Gaiva. Because man is so great, therefore it's easy for him to fall into the error of being tempted to view himself in that light. Every person, no matter what status he may seem to be, is subject to the temptation to be conceited in such a way that makes him a peril to the world and surely to himself. Arrogance is an extremely great pitfall. Of all human beings' tendencies and traits, the most dangerous is the tendency to feel his greatness. The Sepharim say, Hagava rosh kol chatas. Arrogance is the head, the top of all sins. What does that mean? The head. Don't we know that there are bigger sins than arrogance? 
The answer is that Gaiva is the source of all sins. That's what it means, Rosh Kol Chatas. If you'll analyze every form of wickedness, it's due to a man's conceit. He thinks he deserves everything. He's always right. He can do. He's not wrong. He's important. He's capable. He thinks the world of himself. And actually, it's true. He actually has written within him an endless greatness, almost infinite potential. It's so great, so powerful and tremendous, that it's capable of misleading him and ruining him. I'll give just one example. Everybody knows there was a madman in Europe who took into his head to destroy many millions of people. Now, to us, it seems entirely insane. How could such a thing enter a person's mind? Why should he kill millions of people? Even if he has a peeve, a grudge against somebody, he won't be satisfied until millions and millions and millions are destroyed. It's Meshuga. But the truth is that it's a sign of the greatness of mankind. Because he's so great, his ideals and his capabilities and Sha'ifas are correspondingly just as great. Because man is great, he imagines great things, tremendous plans, and just because of that, his wickedness can be endlessly great. Man's greatness and arrogance are capable of creating a Hitler. But we're not interested in Hitler now. We're concerned about our own Gaiva because we are faced with that same pitfall. You know, there are people who are tyrants in their home. Even in the yeshiva and koilel, you find such things. Some people are tyrants in the workplace. I once went into a store many years ago to buy some little toys for my children. And there was a Syrian young man, a bit fat man, sitting behind the counter. I remember he was eating a candy bar. It was a very big store, a whole department store. And he was sitting on his throne right next to the cash register. And all day long, the music of the register was ringing in his ears. He was on top of the world. Now, I had run down heels in those days. I was a very poor man in those days. And so when I walked in, he turned to his girl secretary, the cashier, and he said, look at those heels. And he chuckled. He laughed at me. Now, where does an attitude like that come from? From many things. But the foundation of it all is his greatness. He really is great. And that becomes a pitfall. And it's an attitude that we all have. To a certain extent, that's all of us. Now, if that's the case... This is going to give us the key to understanding many things that take place in history and in our lives. But we'll start with what we began this evening. Here is a Jew who is getting Malchus for some sin, and he's bending over a block. He's holding on to it, and he's being whipped. What's the purpose? The purpose is to counteract his arrogance. It's intended to humble him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not venting his anger on him. He is helping him. It's a medicine that's being administered as an antidote to his conceit. To shame him into submission to Hashem. To shame him into submission to his purpose in the world. The Torah says, V'nikla achicha le'enecha. Your brother will be put to shame before your eyes. Only shame. Doesn't it hurt too? 39 lashes by a hefty shliach of Beisdin, who is brandishing that whip with all of his koach is only a matter of shame. No, absolutely it hurts, but the embarrassment is the most important achievement. That whip is putting him down to size, making him think less of his arrogance. It makes him small. Now, if you study a little grammar with me for a minute, we'll understand it. The word maka 
is hifil, to hit. From nun, chaf, hey, nacha. And nacha means to deduct. If you know Hebrew, nun, chaf, hey means to deduct, like nikui. And so maka, to hit, means to deduct. It's deducting something from you. Just like the doctor who takes a patient who has a tumor and the doctor is deducting the tumor from his patient. It hurts, but he's saving that man's life. And so when the Basin is giving him makos, they're deducting from him his arrogance. They're hitting him in order to make him humble. He's becoming an anav. Now you might say, why is it necessary to hit him so many times? Why hit him at all? They should talk to him. Tough words. Who do you think you are that you can transgress the law of the Torah? You think you're so important that you could do whatever you want. Talk mean and loud words to him. That should be enough. No, that won't do the job. Because you have to know who you're talking to. You're talking to a very great personality. You're talking to man. And because of his greatness, you won't make him small merely by your words. You have to administer a strong medicine. Of course, words are also important, but the medicine must be given to him in such an extreme way that the words will make an effect. Now, this explains a common phenomenon in this world, and that's the subject of sickness. The Gemara and Brachas tells that there was a book of remedies, and Chizkiah HaMelech was Gana's Sefer Rufuas. He took this book out of circulation. He concealed it, and the Chachamim praised him for that. Now, we don't understand that at all. Remedies for various illnesses, what's wrong with that? There are two perushim on this. One perush is the Rambam's perush. The Rambam says it was a safer talismaus. It was a safer of certain magic remedies. And because Chizkiah didn't want the people to resort to magic remedies, therefore he took that book and he concealed it. Forget about the magic, Chizkiah said. But others like Rashi say no. It wasn't magic remedies. It was a book of real effective remedies, real medicine. And yet Chizkiah concealed it for a reason. What could be a good reason for that? Now pay attention to Rashi's words. Rashi says illness is sent upon people in order to humble them. Not only Rashi. All of our great men say that. Rav Sadia Gaon in his Amunas Videya says the same thing. The purpose of suffering is Lahachnia es to confer the great gift of humility. Suffering lowers pride. Suffering is an antibiotic for conceit and arrogance. Because of the greatness of man, that explains the necessity for such things. A man is liable to great temptations in this world, to forget about other people, even to forget about Hashem, because he is so great. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu constantly has to remind him from time to time, he has to give him a little slap here and a little slap there to remind him, Quiet down. I'm bigger than you are. And that's why sickness comes. To humble you. A man is sick. He's on the operating table. And he sees a doctor taking out a whole box full of various scissors and knives. And soon, they'll put him to sleep. And start cutting him up. And so, he'll be thinking, When I get out of this alive, I'm going to be a better fellow. I'll be better to my wife. I'll be a better neighbor. I'll be more pliable. I'll start listening to the rabbi in the synagogue when I get out of here. But not merely to make you humble towards your fellow man. That's also a big achievement. But the most important humility is to be humble to your creator. I'm going to listen to Hashem when I get out. If he lets me out of this place alive, 
I'm going to be humble before Hashem. That's the real purpose of the operation. That's the purpose of all illness. That's the purpose of a cold. If a person, Khalila gets a cold, it's for the intention to make him more humble. You know when you have the sniffles and you're coughing and sneezing and you have a sore throat, sinus trouble, you shouldn't have it. But the purpose is to make you feel low. You're too high. It's to push you down a little bit. It's an effective medicine. Any illness, any pain is for the purpose of making a person lose his arrogance. Our sages tell us that again and again. HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestows a great benefit on mankind from time to time by humbling them. That's why a sick man, in the language of Tanakh, is called Adal. Ashrei Maskil El Dal. Happy is the one who has interest in a sick man. The sick man is called Adal. Dal means he's low. Why is he Dal? He's low because the illness makes him low. Sometimes he's so low that he can't get up. He has to lie down. Why is he lying down? There are two reasons why a person lies down when he's ill. One is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants a man to get well, and when he lies down, it puts less stress on his heart. The blood, instead of being pumped up and down, it's pumped horizontally with less stress on the heart. When you lie down, there's less stress on your organs, and you can recover more quickly. That's why people faint. Fainting is a Yeshua. It's a salvation. It's first aid when you faint. You shouldn't faint, but it's first aid, because then everything stops. Everything quiets down, and your body has a chance now to recuperate a little bit. But there's another reason why people lie down when they're sick, or when they faint. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to show you that you're not such a big shot. When you're lying in bed and your head hurts, and your stomach hurts, and you're sniffling and coughing, you can't be a big shot. It's impossible. I once fainted on the street. I never dreamed that I would faint. I used to see people faint on the street and ambulances came. But to me, it would never happen. I'm a big shot. And then it happened. An ambulance came and they put me on the stretcher. I said, take me home. I want to get out of here. I don't belong here. Nothing doing, they said. You have to go to the hospital. I want you to get up and go home. No, you cannot get up. I learned the lesson that I'm not a big shot. What do you think, Miller? Fainting is only for other people. That's a valuable lesson. I learned a valuable lesson that day. A man becomes humble by means of sickness. And that's what really makes him great. Because now Hashem is in his mind more. He's lower down and he recognizes the real big shot. Hashem Yidbarach. Now we can better understand what the Gemara in Shabbos says. Shishchina l'mala merashato shelchoyle that the Shekhinah hovers over the head of a sick man. Our sages tell us that. When a man is lying ill, the presence of Hashem is there. Of course, it's not the Shekhinah that was in the base Hamikdash or the Shekhinah that they saw in the Midbar, but there is some form of his presence when a man is sick. Now I suppose he has to be at least a Maimon in the Ikre Ha'amuna. I don't believe if a Rasha, a Koifer, is sick, that any Shekhinah will come to him. But a kosher Jew, even though he's not a Baal Madrega, at the time of his illness, the Shekhinah hovers over his head. Hashem Yisadenu al Eres Devai. Hashem is supporting him on his sickbed, Tehillim. Not merely Hashem's messengers, the forces of nature. Of course, 
There are forces of nature that heal people. Fever is one of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's messengers. Fever heals. Fever is a great healer. It burns and destroys. It's a sign that the infection is being combated. There are other processes of healing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has set up in the body. But there is a separate, a special assistance that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives. Hashem Yisadenu. Hashem supports him. Al Eres Devai. On his bed of pain. The Shekhinah is there. That's why there's a certain deen when you're visiting a sick person. It's a mitzvah to visit someone who is sick. To see what you can do for him. You can cheer him up with a consolation. Whatever it is, maybe you can help him with things that he needs. If he's in a hospital, you can bring him kosher food. But suppose he's lying on a pallet on the floor. It happens sometimes. That he's lying on the floor on a pallet, on a stretcher. So the Gemara says that it's usher to sit down on a chair, because then you'll be sitting higher than he is. If you wish to sit, you must sit on the floor alongside him. Why is that? The Gemara says it's because the Shekhinah is right there over his head. So how can you sit higher than the Shekhinah? Now that's a remarkable statement. What did this man do that suddenly he should merit that the Shekhinah visits him when he becomes ill? What changed now? The answer is, this man is being improved. The Yisurim are making him better. Even if he is not going to study Mida Keneged Mida. And he won't ask, Mazot Asa Elokim Lanu. What is this Hashem did to me? For what sin am I being punished? Nach Pesod Let me search out my ways and investigate. He should say that. But even if he doesn't, still, the man is improving. And the biggest improvement is that he is now humbled. He is humiliated. You cannot be a Balgaiva when you are sick. A sick man is a humble man. A millionaire. When he's in pain, he's a humble fellow. And that is a tremendous achievement. To be an Anav already means you are coming closer to Hashem. Now this is not an Anav who chose the career of humility. It's not somebody whose Seichel dictated to him the greatness of being humble. It's not a case where a man thinks, I am standing lifne Hashem in the presence of Hashem. So certainly... I must be humble. No, nothing like that. He is being clubbed over the head. He is humble because he is forced into it. But humility is such a shlemus. It's such a perfection that even a man who is forced into it becomes more beloved by Hashem. So beloved that the Shekhinah is willing now to come down to him and rest above his head. Now, don't think you have to wait for it to happen to you, Chas Shalom. You can learn the lesson anyhow. That's the best way. Next time you see an ambulance running in the street, don't think there's no connection with you. Someone is in that car lying down. He's being humbled right now. Why should you be any different? Are you any better than him? Probably not. And so if you'll stop for 30 seconds and think about humbling yourself, you've accomplished a great thing today. A little bit. You've been humbled. You've lived successfully. Now, once we understand that achievement, the perfection that even a little humility brings to a person, so we have to be mindful always of using even the little things, the small doses of saras, the small makas, to humble ourselves. Because is there such a thing as a person who everything goes his way? Never. Impossible. Here's a man who made plans for something. Whatever it is, a trip, a business deal. A shidduch, and it turns out not the way he planned, not the way he wanted. 
he was careful and he arranged this and that and he tied all of the loose ends and then nothing. It all fell apart. What's that about? The Chayvah Salavavah in Shara Bitochen says that HaKadosh Baruch who sometimes does that to you to teach you a lesson. You thought that you are the author of your fate, that you're in charge here. So although you made a certain arrangement and you planned and you hoped that it would turn out a certain way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to do you a favor and teach you a very valuable lesson. The lesson that I am in charge, not you. So instead of being disappointed, you should say, I thank you Hashem for that. It's worth money, that lesson. I really should have to pay for that lesson. Because otherwise, I was thinking that I'm the boss. I thought I was the whole macher here. And now, you remind me that I'm not the macher at all. You're the macher, with a capital M. You're getting a valuable lesson. It's worth a lot of money. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not charging you for it. So be happy. Another opportunity to learn to be humble. You know, husbands call me up on the phone sometimes, and they tell me that their wives are always criticizing them, always putting them down. Now, I'm not saying it's true. I imagine that if I would speak to her, I would hear a different story altogether. But let's imagine that it's true. Now, the first thing is to understand that no matter what, a man has to learn to appreciate his wife. This is not the subject. But a wise man understands that no matter what, his wife is a gift. She cooks for him. More or less, she keeps the house clean. She gives him children. She raises the children and fulfills her duties in the house as a mother and a wife. Together they're bringing up a family. And therefore the wise man always appreciates the great benefits of having a wife, despite the criticism. But even when a wife criticizes a husband, you should know that she is doing him a big favor. Outside the house, nobody tells him anything. It's uncomfortable. And after a while he begins to think, Maybe I really am great. So he comes home and right away his wife deflates him. She puts a pin in his balloon and it bursts. That's a tremendous achievement. A perfection that he won't acquire outside the home. It's a shlemus to be put down to size once in a while. But let's imagine now that somebody has no trouble. His wife is an angel. A malach mina shamayim who never says a mean word to him. Also he never gets sick and everything he plans... It works out. Nothing ever happens to humble him. Of course, it's impossible. But let's imagine so for a minute. So what's he going to do? How does he humble himself in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Listen to this Eitzah because everyone should use it. Everyone knows there was a man named Elkanah, the father of Shmuel Hanavi. Elkanah used to go three times a year to Shiloh where the Mishkan was. And it explains there what his purpose was. Why did he go to Shiloh? He went to bring offerings? Yes, he did that. Absolutely, you have to bring offerings when you go to the sanctuary. He also had to speak to the sons of Eli. It's important to consult with the sages, and therefore three times a year, he went up to the central place of the sages, and he spoke to them. He got advice from them. But one of the most important purposes, the Navi says, was the Hishtach Lashem to bow down to Hashem. You hear that? That's how important it is. He traveled to Shiloh to bow down to Hashem. The Hishtachavos. Now listen to the word Hishtachavos. In Hebrew, you'll understand it better from the word Shach. Shach means low. 
And hishtachaveh is called reflexive hispayel. It's a form of grammar to make yourself low. In Lushan Kaidish, you don't say bow, you say to make yourself low to Hashem. For that alone, it was worth going to the sanctuary. It was worth making a big journey just to fall down on the ground on his face, to feel that he is low before Hashem. Oh, you say, it's superfluous. I don't have to bow down. I know already that Hashem is bigger than I am. But that's the human hypocrisy of self-deception. All people are subject to the great temptation of Ani va'afsi od, that there's nobody in the universe but me. And unless you take the trouble to work on yourself and to recognize there's somebody bigger than you are, you're going to remain very arrogant. That's one of the most important functions in our prayers that most people ignore and overlook. You're standing the Amida. You're beginning saying Shemona Esrei. So you give a preemptory bow. The bow, you think. That's not important. It's just an introduction. The words you are about to say. Baruch Atah Hashem. That's what's important. No, you're missing the whole point. The most important thing is the bowing down. The bowing down and acknowledging that there's somebody higher than you. That's the most important part. So don't be in a hurry. When you're bowing, take your time and get the full benefit of that. It's a law in the Gemara. You must bow down at the beginning of Shemona Esrei because that's the first lesson. Gaiva is the beginning of all sin. And therefore, the first thing is to uproot that arrogance. And therefore, bowing in Shemona Esrei a few times in the beginning and then by Moidim too is so valuable. It's so important to prepare beforehand and to make use of that. Because even though with your lips you may say words of pious hypocrisy, I bow down to you, Hashem. But in your heart, you're bowing down only to yourself. Man is so great that he doesn't even back down even before Hashem. That's human nature. The Gemara says when a man is arrogant, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? He says, this man and I cannot live together in one world. The universe is too small for both of us. He wants to crowd me out of the world. If he could, he would swell himself up like a big balloon and fill up the whole space, the whole universe. That's human nature because he's so great. He's endlessly great. And that's why a man must work on himself to be humble to Hashem. It takes work, effort, to learn for a man to be humble towards Hashem. And so when people will come to the next world and they'll realize what a benefit it was for them, the suffering that they had in this world, they'll be sorry they didn't have more suffering. They'll complain. Why did other people get more opportunities than we did? Why did he have that cold that kept him laid up in bed for almost all winter? And me, I was fine. Why did he have those bumps in life that humbled him into perfection? While me, everything was smooth sailing. And therefore, the wise person learns to make use of all the opportunities that Hashem plans for him. All of the difficulties he understands that he is being hit in the house of his friend, his best friend. And even when the sailing is smooth, he never forgets his obligation to lower himself in front of Hashem. He always bows before Hashem and he's always thinking, as great as I am, as tremendous my capabilities and potential are, actually, 
just because of godless Adam. That's why I'm always lowering myself in front of you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Gaining humility. Nobody is looking for bumps on the highway of life. Nobody is looking for sickness and troubles. But when Hashem does send difficulties, even minor inconveniences, I'm going to take advantage of them. This week, every time something goes wrong, I will stop for 30 seconds and remind myself about its purpose to humble me. And because we all hope that this week will be a perfect one with no bumps, I'm going to make sure to take advantage of the first bow in Shemona Esrei as a way of humbling myself before Hashem so that inconveniences and troubles are not necessary.